So we're going to get into, uh, again, these uh, next few weeks, some of these uh, some of these are huge movies, and some of them may not be huge, but I think gives us an opportunity to see the life lessons. Today we're going to get into Star Wars, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's just so much that we can learn in life from so many avenues, but Lord, at the end of the day, we strive to be like you. Lord, we just praise you for today. Thank you for everybody uh, that just took time out of their crazy schedules to be here. Thank you for this church family uh, that inspired me week after week with the willingness they have to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So Star Wars, uh, if you're of a certain age, you remember seeing the original. Matter of fact, how many of you have seen at least one Star Wars movie? Would you raise your hand? Good. Some of you put both hands up enthusiastically. That's great. So I'm a certain age. I saw the original, and I remember this so well. Uh, uh, you've heard me share this before, uh, my strange family dynamic. So I'm the youngest of seven. My mom was just shy of 42 when I was born. And, uh, and so when I share stories about my nephews, I legitimately mean my nephews. I'm not people go, you mean your cousins? And I'm like, no, these are actually my, and I have a nephew older than me. That is really strange. So some of you that have lived in that kind of family dynamic, you know what I'm talking about. Also, the other strange thing, if you grew up without much money, uh, as our family did, um, uh, my mom would call it vacation. Vacation was to visit the relative that lived the farthest away. Okay, that was vacation. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And so I uh, went to see my nephews and love my nephews out in West Virginia. It was the summer before my senior year of high school, and my nephew just got a, a Volkswagen, and we piled into that thing. Uh, totally illegal, I'm sure. I don't know how many of us were wedged in there. Um, and we went to the movies to see what everybody wanted to see, Star Wars. And, uh, and I, I remember, I, I, I didn't come out of the theater and my life was changed. But I, I will tell you, I knew going into my senior year, I was trying to figure out all these things, what to do with my life. No matter what, I wanted to do something in my life bigger than myself. And I really wanted to be a part of a really cool team. You know, I mean, just you walk there, I'm like, oh, my land, that's so powerful. Now, I never dreamed, I don't think anybody would dream the impact of Star Wars. They made that movie in 77, and that was a lot of money at the time for $11 million, but it grossed $775 million. That's the equivalent of $3.3 billion today. So it did pretty well, Okay. And then you all know, uh, those of you that are Star Wars fans, in 2012, uh, Star War, the Star Wars franchise was sold to Disney. Anybody remember the amount? $4 billion. And before this last movie, The Rise of the Skywalker, Disney has already recouped the four-plus billion dollars. And they are uh, estimated to make billions in the future with just the, the rights with TV, with merchandise, and uh, with their theme parks. I mean, Star Wars has turned into uh, this amazing rolling train that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Generations keep following it. But at the end of the day, there are also some pretty fun things about Star Wars I wanted to share. Uh, first of all, you talk about popularity. Uh, Star Wars was on the front cover of Time Magazine seven different times. It was also on the front cover of Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, People, GQ, Darth Vader on GQ, kind of weird, Mad Magazine, and then there's these iconic sounds. There's a couple of them we all know. The lightsaber, George Lucas got that from listening to the hum of an old TV. Chewbacca was a fusion between a lion, a bear, and a badger. Now, that's, that's weird, okay? 
And because of this, at that time, a runaway budget, they realized that they had to use no names as the cast. They couldn't get big stars. But originally, they did have some stars that they interviewed for some of these parts. Now, this one is mind-numbing. Han Solo. They interviewed Burt Reynolds. Can you see Smokey and the Vader? I mean, come on. And this one really gets me. Al Pacino as Han Solo. Can you even picture Al Pacino with the lightsaber? Say hello to my little friend. I mean, it's just... It just doesn't fit. And then have you ever tried, or it's, I should say, have you ever tried to understand Star Wars completely with somebody who's really into Star My kids are really into Star Wars. And Marie and I are not. I don't know how to, I mean, we love it. It's fun. But I'm telling you, we, so on Christmas Day, what do you guys want to do? My youngest, Danielle, and her husband, they said, we want to go to the Tivoli Theater, and we want to see Star Wars. Really? Okay, so we go to the, and I, I told Maria as I leaned over with the popcorn, you know, run down my face the butter, I said, do not, do not lean over to our son-in-law and say, what's going on? Yeah, don't we, just, just pretend like we know what's going on. And then on the way home, we're like, what's going on? You know, I'm still trying to figure out. So here are some folks that describe Star Wars in one sentence. This is on a t-shirt, Pinterest, okay? An orphan joins a wise hermit and two droids and an egotistical smuggler to save a sassy princess in the galaxy. There it is, okay? And here's another one. Now, this is a professor. His name is Randy Ingraham, and uh, he's a professor of advanced writing. His key is keep everything short. So here's his description in one sentence, Star Wars. A young, a young farm boy joins a princess in the rebellion against the galactic empire. Well, we know that it's so much more than that. Matter of fact, here's the one thing about Star Wars, even from the very beginning. I remember seeing spiritual implications. Uh, man, there was this dark side, and then there was the force of the light. And the deeper you got, you realize, boy, the dark side is really powerful, but the light can potentially be more powerful. Matter of fact, really, I think you can sum up the challenge of Star Wars in six words. I guarantee it. May the force, what? There it is. What's the force? Romans 13, 12 says this, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, all of us in this room, the church is called to be a force for Christ. But the question is, how can we be the force? So here, here's where it all begins. First of all, you have to allow the message of Jesus to, to transform your life personally. So let me talk to every one of you one-on-one. -on -one. Personally, growing to be like Christ. Luke 10, 27. Let's read this together. And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that word all? Love the Lord with all your heart and all your heart and mind, soul, strength. Love him with all. Tis the season, and uh, Tracy had mentioned this, for goals and resolutions. So I want you to listen to 
again, what Tracy shared about that definition, resolution, it's a firm decision to do or not to do something. See, it's one thing to say, I'm committing to do this, but the other commitment is, I'm also making a commitment not to do this, okay? And that is so important as you pursue what I think is the greatest resolution you could possibly make. You can write this one down. Have you ever heard somebody, when they've been asked, what's your New Year's resolution say to be more like Jesus? Now, would that make a difference if that really was our resolution? That I want to be more like Jesus. Yoda famously said, do or do not, there is no try. You have to be all in in this relationship with Christ. All in. Now, Marie and I had a conversation a few days ago, and I guarantee some of you had the same conversation. We looked at each other and said, we have got to get in shape. I don't know, anybody else have that? You know, as I'm eating the last of the chocolate pretzel, yeah, you're right. And then, uh, so I said, we need, listen, we don't do well going like the YMCA and stuff because we get out of schedule. So I said, we need a piece of exercise equipment. So I put out on Facebook, anybody selling a treadmill? Boy, I got some interesting responses. So anyway, and we have some folks here. I got some folks that are actually going to donate some equipment to the, the fat preacher. So I feel good about that. You know, I think it was a pity thing. And so, uh, but I can't tell you how many responses. Here was the response, number one response to a treadmill. Why would you want one of those? It's only good to hang your clothes on. So evidently, a lot of pain out here, okay? A lot of folks are saying, listen, why would you get that? So let's just pretend that uh, we go out and purchase this new treadmill, okay? And every morning, I've scheduled time with the treadmill. So I get my cup of coffee, and I get my chair, and I sit by the treadmill, and I talk to the treadmill. It's so good to have you part of the family. And uh, I cannot wait for us to spend some time together. That was good. I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Okay, now, if I did that day after day after day, you're like, that is ridiculous. If you don't use the stupid thing, how are you ever going to lose weight? And then I have people who say, I'm so empty. Where's God? I can't find God. He's not present in my life. And I always want to say, if you want to unleash the Holy Spirit, you know how you do it? The fuse is always through the Word of God. Because it's the living Word of God. All these goals and resolutions, if you really want to be more like Christ, then you need to read about the message of Christ. And begin to let Christ work in our lives through his word, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes alive. Let me share with you, to me, some startling statistics. So George Barna, if you've ever heard of George Barna, he does... Uh, extensive research on uh, not just trends, but where people are with their faith journey. And every year he does a study, a deep dive into what he calls the state of the Bible. And they actually interview thousands of people from all 50 states, all generations, in regard to reading the Bible. And then he puts them into these five categories. Bible-centered, Bible-engaged, Bible-friendly, Bible-neutral, Bible disengaged. Now, that's complicated. But he says, I want you to listen to the high and the low. So just listen to this. Bible-centered means they ask people, are, do you interact with the Bible frequently, and does the Bible transform your relationships and shape your choices? Isn't that a great question? In other words, are you reading it? Or are you really getting into it? You know what the percentage? 5%. 95% of people said it's not relevant. Listen to the highest. 
Bible disengaged. Question is, do you not uh, interact with the Bible at all and frequently? Does it have minimal impact on your life? 48% said hardly any impact whatsoever, even if I do read it. Okay, that ought to scare us. Because for far too long, we go into not just New Year's, but we go into our lives avoiding spending time with Christ through his word. And the more you avoid it, the farther you're going to drift, the farther I'm going to drift. Because again, I believe that's when God launches his Holy Spirit is through his word. So I want to share with you one of my goals for the church here on the west side. I had a group of us, we went down, you probably remember... uh, uh, sad day, but when Tony Lutz uh, moved to Florida, uh, still have not forgiven him for that. But anyway, he moved down to Florida, got involved with a dynamic church there. And uh, he said, uh, I would love to show you what they're doing down here. And one of the things is they're doing a study. And he said, this isn't like any Bible study. It's called freedom. And he said, here's what I love about it is you go through this study and it's, it's really heavy on scripture. Like, you'll go through the week, and you're right, the answers are not read this. It's like, write out the scripture. And so, and it gets into really the hard issues of life that we need to all be free from. And he said, here's the best part. At the end of that 12 weeks, they have, they call it a conference. But it could be, a, but more it's a worship experience where you come clean with God. So he said, it's not just a Bible study. So our life group has been through this. We're at week 11. And I'll be honest, um, we've been praying how to multiply this. We would love to get, it could be two people. You don't want to do it solo. You need somebody to be accountable to. But I'd love to get as many groups to go through this. And Heather and I have talked about it. Then have this amazing worship experience to say, where are you with God? Why? Because I believe, again, the word of God brings a life into our lives. John David Tripp, who has, uh, if you're looking for a great devotional, has a devotional called The New Morning Mercies. And I want to share something that he shared about why it's so important to be identified and growing in Christ. Here's what he said, I quote, We will never turn any created thing into your personal Messiah. There is one true Messiah, and life can only be found in him only. As much as we all know there is only one true God, we still hunt for God replacements. We all still tend to look horizontally for what will only but will only be found vertically. In other words, we're trying to find contentment in all these things around us without actually just going straight up and say, God, I identify with Jesus. Because that identification with Jesus, that clears everything else up. Once you've got that in line, then these other things that come our way in life, we can handle it because of that. And here's what he went on to say. We attach our identity to the opinions of others. Some of you right now, that's what you're struggling with. You've had some difficult conversations. Uh, there's been things shared, and you are, your spirit's been crushed, and you really are concerned about the opinions of others. You draw too much from a sense of purpose by the way you look. We attach happiness to achievements. Uh, we draw too much from purchases. Uh, the other day, uh, Marie said the dreadful words that no husband wants to hear, honey, I have Cole's cash. Now, that is a bad day. <laughs> And I'm like, I got to be like Jesus. So I went to Kohl's with her, hoping to get a sweater out of the deal. And, and uh, y- y- they, were, they were down a couple of cashiers. Uh, that, that made it a lot funner. So anyway, we had one long line that we were in. And 
there's a longer line, a return line, um, and we saw somebody recognize uh, that has a great sense of humor, but she had this look like, I want to die. You know, that hollow look in her face. Like, and uh, so I got laughing. I went over to her, and she said, last night I spent two hours strategizing this time at Kohl's. What's wrong with me? And then she, this is the quote I love. She said, if you give somebody Kohl's coupons and Kohl's cash, it's like crack. And I'm like, yeah. I look around. I'm looking, yeah, no doubt. What happens is in life, aren't we all guilty? If I could just purchase this, think how much happier I'd be. If I could just wear that, if I could just wear that on my new treadmill. You know, whatever it is, we run through this cycle, and the next thing you know, what have we done? We've just slowly started drifting away from Christ. And Christ is like, listen, you have to find your identity in me. And really, honestly, when we do that, everything changes. And it changes from the inside out. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And you know why we don't love ourselves? Because we let others determine whether we're lovable. No, if we loved ourselves the way Jesus loved us, seriously, every day would be a different day. If we truly loved ourselves that way, then we would experience his grace, we would be motivated by his methods, and then we would be blessed to help our neighbors. That's what it's all about. So I want you to know that's the next step. Once we start to identify that we need Jesus desperately, then we begin to take his, not just his message, but we begin to take the methods of Jesus into our community. Now, what do I mean by his method? Look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In your scriptures, you might want to highlight that. Uh, do not become weary of doing good and that do not give up. There's something that is very, very real. Um, every so often, it's not every so often, it's, it's honestly every week. Because I'm going through a sermon, um, there are just people that are struggling that come to my mind. It, it happens all the time. And I cannot tell you how many people came to mind when I read about this. Uh, Claudia has shared with me this the impact of this, and it's simply called compassion fatigue. Um, compassion fatigue, and there is a, a wonderful, it's a TED Talks, and it's, um, her name is Juliet, and here's what she said, and I thought this is so powerful. It says, when giving is no longer living, because you're so drained from the giving. In 1992, professor from Tulane University, Dr. Charles Figley was the first one who coined the phrase, Compassion fatigue. Now, here's what he did. He interviewed professionals, firefighters, emergency workers, policemen, hospice care, those who were in contact with people in crisis every day of their lives. And he coined this phrase, they began to experience compassion fatigue. Matter of fact, here's the definition. It's the emotional and physical stress created from others in distress or in great need. And it actually has similar symptoms to people suffering from PTSD. Here are the three symptoms. Number one is you're getting uh, consistently irritated and frustrated most of the time. Number two is you begin to feel worthless because you feel like things are out of control and you're exceedingly sad. You cry for no reason at all. 
And then isolation. You just are tired to be with people. Family, friends, church. And then from that study, guess what happened? They realized this doesn't just affect professionals. This affects everybody. We're so exhausted helping others. And I guarantee some of you right now, that's the burden you're carrying. There's nothing left. Startling. One-third of all Americans are caring for somebody, a family member, in their homes right now in desperate need. I don't mean just caring. I mean somebody going through a crisis. And so you see, this goes across the board. Some of you with elderly parents and grandparents, and you're here this morning, and you're exhausted. We have single parents here today. And you came in here today, and there's nothing left in the tank. We have mothers of preschoolers, and you laugh about it, but you are so tired. Why? Because of this. You're doing what is good, and it's wearing you out. And then you get a preacher who comes up and says, you need to be a part of, and they're like, hey, I'm not going to be a part of anything. You have any idea what I'm going through? So I want to just share you a couple of things. Number one is you're not alone. You begin sharing with others, you realize you're not alone. What you're going through, a lot of people really are going through. And number two is I'm so glad Claudia is here. She's helping us with this. Everything here, you're going to get tired here, is about teams. It's not a solo act. If somebody comes and says, John, I got a great ministry idea, I'll run with it. I'll say, no, you're not. I don't want you to run with it. I want a team. Why? Because you need each other. We desperately need each other. When somebody goes down, somebody's there to pick you up. That's what it's all about. And we all go through this pain. Matter of fact, in your bulletins, I want you to see what's on the other side of this because there's great news. I want you to see what the church, by working together, was able to do, the early church. And I want you to jot these numbers down. There's four numbers. The number two, the number four and a half, 18, 28. And it's going to come up here on the screen, and I'm going to explain. Those numbers represent years. So I want to back all the way up to Acts 4.13. Peter and John... People were amazed and said they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And they couldn't believe the impact and the ripple effect of these guys who'd been with Jesus. And all they talked about is what Jesus had done, how Jesus walked, and follow his pattern. Listen to his message, follow his methods, and I'm telling you, life will never be the same. That message seemed too simple, and it was so profound that it lit the world on fire. Here's where the numbers come in. Two years from the time that Jesus uttered the words in Acts 1.8, that this church is going to explode through Jerusalem, through all Samaria, through all the world. Two years from that point, in Acts 5, we see churches and communities begin to fill the entire city of Jerusalem. Jesus was catching on. Four and a half years from the time that Jesus uttered those words and ascended to heavens, churches began increasing in numbers, and then they began to multiply. Eighteen years from that moment, in Acts 17, 6, it said, we don't know what's going on, but they're turning the world upside down 
with this message of Jesus. And then in Colossians, 28 years from the moment Jesus uttered those words, the gospel, it said, is bearing fruit all over the world. And it's still happening. What happens is when we wander away from Jesus and try to do it on our own, it never works. But I'm telling you, you give your life to Jesus Christ, and when a community gives their life to Jesus Christ, amazing things are going to happen. Because of us? No. Because of Jesus. So my question is, what does that look like? What's it look like when you come out of a hopeless situation and through the love and the light of Jesus, you can provide hope? What does that look like? So Brittany and I, the other day, she was getting like an eye exam, and, and I was sitting out there, uh, and uh, you probably haven't picked this up. I don't sit still uh, very well. Little ADD. And uh, so I'm looking around. I'm always either wanting to walk or read. And so I looked around and saw some magazines and uh, picked up the Sports Illustrated, very spiritual. And uh, it was Sportsman of the Year and just had these really inspiring stories. Well, one of them was a, a player I remember watching. His name is Warwick Dunn. And uh, his story is unbelievable. When he was in high school, uh, grew up in this apartment in a very rundown area, and he, he just said, my mom worked two jobs just desperately trying to get us a home to get out of this area. And she was working a, a shift at this convenience store, and I get a phone call early in the morning, and the policeman said, um, uh, does this work? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to say this, but your mom was... Uh, the store was robbed, and she was murdered. He said, where's my mom right now? And he says, we're actually bringing her back to the house. He said, I came out of my room, and there's my mom in the kitchen. There's her body, and I'm like, what am I going to do now? Who's going to take care of my brothers and sisters? How am I going to provide for them? And uh, he said, what can I even do? And he said, well, the only thing I can do is play football. So he didn't just play college football. He played with a purpose for his family. And he played pro ball, and he did really well. And he made a lot of money. And when he got out of football, you know what he decided? I'm going to help families get their own homes. I don't want to give them a handout. I want to give them a, a hand up. I want to help them because I want to give them hope. He's helped hundreds now of kids and families just get their own home. And he says, three guarantees. He said, that's how I run my foundation. Number one, uh, there's going to be some extensive interview and accountability. And if everything goes through, I'm going to give you a check for $5,000 that you will apply directly to buy your home, okay? You're not going to waste it. It has to directly go. That's number one. Number two is I've got friends, wealthy friends. Your home will have all the furnishings you new, for when you, brand new start, not a new home. Uh, you're helping to provide for that, but we're going to provide the furniture, Number three, I will be there the first day you move in, and I'm going to bring an apple pie, and we're going to sit at the table, and that first piece of pie that we eat together is to let you know there's hope. That's the way my mom would want you to live your life. That's what she loved was apple pie. I like work done. How about you? I think it's the same spirit all of us need to have. Can you imagine what we could do together to pursue the good of Christ and the love of Christ with everything that we have if we loved our neighbors the way Jesus loved our neighbors? 
That's our mission. One of the things that I love, if you're visiting, that I want to share with you right now is when you think about communion, when you think about coming together as a community, uh, our communion time is also an invitation time. I want you to know that. So we're going to have our elders, love the elders and their wives to come up during our communion time. And if you have anything at all that you want to pray going into this new year, we want to pray with you. And for some of you, it may be this decision. I've never given my life to Jesus, and I need to do that. That's what this time is about. One thing that ministers, and I'm guilty of this, is sometimes we find a verse we love, and we get so focused on that one verse that we lose track of the verse beyond it. In Galatians 6, 9, I love it. It's, you know, don't give up, do good. I love that. But then Galatians 6, 10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Isn't that awesome? Do good to the strangers. You go out to eat today, treat the waitress the way Jesus would treat the waitress. When you go back to school tomorrow, treat the teachers the way Jesus would treat the teachers. Do everything you can for those around you, even the people you don't know, do good. But especially what? Those right in front of you. You may be sitting by somebody right now, and life right now is really hard. So when you break the bread and when you drink the juice today, would you remember them and focus on Jesus and focus on others? If you're visiting, we have tables set up around the room. And if you ever need help with communion, you raise your hand, we'll bring communion to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. When we think of good and evil, when we think about a force, you're the force the force of good. And so, Lord, be with us. Help us to be what you want us to be, to find our identity in you and to do everything we can to serve you by serving others. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.